Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. This week, I'm really excited because we have someone I have been working closely with recently, Nathaniel Bothwell. Okay, Nate, I have been so grateful for you over the past few months because you have been helping me with our new website for Lem, which we will talk about later. But I heard about you first from Kathy Malore. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met Kathy? I mean, what was the arrangement there? Were you in one of her classes? Yeah, so she was my TJYC instructor when I was younger. And uh, TJYC is now called Quest, right? Yep, yep, Quest. Yeah. So yeah, she was my instructor way back then when I was 16, but a lad. And yeah, we've known each other for you know upwards of 10 years now. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What did you, just from your memory, what did you like best about TGYC or Quest? Ooh, I think my favorite part of TJYC was just trying to see if I could get Kathy to pull her hair out on a daily basis. You were I, one of those kids. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was quite the attention seeker back then. But it worked out because she gave me a job. So we can get into that in a sec. But there was one time I'm, I remember specifically, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, during TGYC, at the end of it, we were um, supposed to give a speech. I believe it was, you know, about like, you know, what it means to be a statesman or something like that. And... Kathy kept, you know, harping on us. You got to prepare this speech, put a lot of work into it. It's only 10 minutes. It's got to be really polished. And my brother and I were like these rebels without a cause. And we had come to this agreement that we just weren't going to do it. We weren't going to write speeches. We just weren't going to enter the competition. And so the day of the competition comes and they're calling out our names for this you know to give our speeches and it just so happened that I was the last one in the speech contest and my brother was right before me and they call his name and the utter betrayal he pulls out a speech that he had written and he stands up and he delivers his speech and as soon as I saw him pull out that piece of paper, I'm very competitive with my brother. So I saw that and I was like, oh, that's how we're doing this? Okay. So the entire time he's giving his speech, I'm just writing down bullet points of what I'm going to say in my speech. Just as quickly as I can, just writing out, you know, the framework of a speech. And I memorized it real quick. And I got up, gave a 10-minute speech that I'd prepared in my seat no notes, just all from memory, give a 10 minute speech. And I won the most inspiring speaker award. And when Kathy found out what we had done and that I had won, 
she was like, I don't know if I should be proud of you or like wring your neck that you didn't prepare this speech. But yeah, that was probably one of the highlights of my high school education. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think I would have been in the wring your neck. <laughs> oh, but that would have been fun listening to. <laughs> yeah. So now I know that you went on to work with her with Unleashing Your Voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of along those lines of giving impromptu speeches, whether they were planned to be impromptu or not, I think she just saw that I had a knack for public speaking and, you know, I enjoyed teaching other people. And so she asked if I wanted to co-mentor with her in Unleashing Your Voice. And so for about a year, we were just traveling around the United States doing seminars for people. We, you know, went to Arizona and Portland and, you know, Utah many times. And we would just put on these seminars for homeschooling groups. And I helped, she wrote all of the Unleashing Your Voice manual but a lot of the times, pretty much anywhere you see parentheses and some little like quippy, snarky little joke in there, that's that's me that wrote that stuff. So I think the 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 manual says like embellished by Nate Bothwell or something like that. It does. I I just um was editing it this year and it it has your handiwork all through it. And then unleashing yeah. your choice. That was written by you, right? Yeah. So that was actually on one of those trips out to Utah. We we did a seminar and then we had like a weekend before we were supposed to go back. And, you know, I just, I loaded up on Pop-Tarts and Mountain Dew and started just writing a debate manual because it was something that really interested me. And at the end of that weekend... I showed it to Kathy. I was like, here you go. I wrote you a debate manual. And she's like, okay, we're going to edit this a lot. <laughs> she read through it and she's like, it needs a lot of work. But yeah, she helped, you know, pull that together and make it more coherent. And, and yeah, we, we then started doing more debate stuff within those seminars. And I would usually teach that half of the seminar just because, you know, it was something I really enjoyed doing. So I don't know you quite as well as Heidi does. So backtracking a little bit, would you say that you were always a precocious child that could just throw caution to the wind and do something like write a speech 10 minutes before it's due? Or is this something that you got to be more emboldened through your educational, like progression through your education? I would say more the latter. I was actually homeschooled until college, believe it or not. So I wasn't what you would call a social butterfly. I had a, a few friends growing up, but you know, nothing like people that go to public school. So going to that co-op where we had, you know, probably 25 to 50 kids in the school, social skills and, 
branch out and express myself in ways that I hadn't before. So it was really helpful. So another follow-up question to that then. So how would you say that you would have like, cause you won the most inspirational speech. So that to me shows two things. One, you can speak very, very well. And two, you can inspire others well. So do you, would you consider yourself someone who has the inherent ability to just write a speech in 10 minutes and, and just give a speech really easily? Or do you feel like this was a skill set that was um, gained through through the projects that you went through in your education? Yeah, so that's a good question. It actually speaks to why Kathy named it Unleashing Your Voice, because her philosophy has always been that each of us has our own voice, our own style, and her job as a mentor was to unleash that voice. And so when we would go around mentoring people, we were never trying to like force them to speak a certain way, like, you know, the way that a lot of people say Toastmasters or someone, something like that does, but we're more just trying to find their style and you'd be amazed like how much it differs from person to person and then just coach them on the tools that they needed in order to unleash that style. And so to answer your question more specifically, I feel like part of me did have the ability to kind of put those thoughts together and think fluidly through them and memorize things quickly and memorize speeches and whatnot. But a lot of that came through getting coached by Kathy and, you know, finding how to hone those skills and certain things to watch out for when I'm delivering speeches. I really like what you said there. I had the epiphany while you're talking. A while back, I decided to study a ton of World War II because I didn't know a lot. And I was like, oh, let's do this. So I just started reading, listening to a lot of the speeches that were given by the leaders at the time. And it was absolutely fascinating to hear, like, you could listen to, like, Mussolini and Hitler and Churchill and Chamberlain and FDR because they're all on YouTube now, for, you know, because they uploaded them. And... It was so cool to just hear how as you were saying that I was like, yeah, you're right. Like every single one of those men, whether they were men you agreed with or not, had a different way of of inspiring and convincing people to listen to them and follow them. And it was really kind of as you were saying, my epiphany was it was like they were all powerful, like impactful and all persuasive, but all different. So there must be like true principles of impacting people, but how, you know, you really have, everyone's going to have their own way of doing it. There's not like this carbon copy way of doing it, which leads me to another question. Like, then how could I, AI ever really replicate humanity? This That's totally out. We don't have to go there. <laughs> Artificial intelligence you're talking about? Yeah. It's like, if because if you're really thinking about it, it's like they could take everyone that, as examples of their unique voice but how could it have how could it have a voice that was its own you know i don't know yeah. we don't have to have well i think it's actually important that you bring this up um because you know a lot of people probably wouldn't think about you know ai and lemmy going going together and it may seem off topic but you know as you've seen a lot of 
our society is going towards AI. Like I just, I just got a brand new phone and it was showing me like all the new features. Every one of them had to do with AI. It's like touch up your pictures with AI, send a voice text with AI. It's like, so it's just becoming completely ubiquitous. And so I, I do think it is important to realize the direction the AI is headed. I mean, where, where it's at now, it can do very like written tasks pretty easily. And there's, you know, I've seen programs where you can, you know, prompt it to write a speech about, you know, how to make pancakes uh, in the voice of Martin Luther King. And, you know, it's pretty convincing and it'll like sound really, you know, really convincing and it'll sound like him. But to your question, I do think that like currently there's a writer's strike because they're worried that artificial intelligence is going to replace the job of writers. And I do think that is a real concern, but I do think that there's this element of human creativity where we can do the unexpected, which computers have a hard time with. They can guess and they can try to be random, but a computer inherently, you know, is never random. And I think the only way that it could get there is if we reach, you know, an artificial intelligence that is sentient and has a consciousness and has an awareness of itself. And I've read about AIs that, you know, people have been worried may or may not be sentient. And we that could be a tangent. We may not go down in this uh, conversation, but... I think that that is further off than people anticipate because um, they think it's already happening. I think it's still a ways away before that happens, but I think that would have to happen before it could possibly replace human creativity. Yeah. And then also I had another epiphany while you're talking because, you know, the, the unleashing your voice concept of like everyone has a unique voice that just needs the tools in which it can thrive and you know really be unleashed um the pivot i had with that is like and that's how you fight freedom or fight for freedom because if you think about like the animal farm and and everyone had to be the same you know like in that book animal farm is like we're all the same and and they tried to like really do like conform everyone to the standard of what they were supposed to be and i actually had some had an opportunity to live in the former soviet union and was spoke, speaking to an, a lady who was probably in her late 50s and she showed me this her her closet and it was just full of fabric and I was like why do you have a closet full of fabric but like what's your plan you're not a seamstress are you and she's like no she's like we just were never allowed to have unique beautiful things when when the Soviets were in power so I would like anytime I had the opportunity to find something that was so beautiful and unique, I would just store it here. So she had this whole closet full of unique, beautiful things. And that's really fascinating to me because I feel like with social media, we've creating the same exact results that the communists wanted to by curating people to the standard of what is acceptable beauty and conformity. And then they choose into that, right? They, they're they choosing into it. Like, this is what it means to be a, a, a wife or a, a person, a man or a woman, or like all these things get pushed into this creation of social media driven. And then we choose to not be ourselves because we want to conform. 
And in that process of not honoring our unique voice, we lose our freedoms. Does that make sense? I don't know. That was kind of a all over the no, place. It does make sense. And I I fully agree with that. I think, you know, the social media point, it it's kind of it's doing what you're saying, but in two ways. There's the way in which the algorithm is curating content for us to see a certain thing. And I think the scary part about that is it's not it's not just curating content and you know, I don't want to lose your guys's book sponsorship for your podcast, but it's not just curating content that it thinks we want to see or that we would enjoy. It's creating content that it knows will drive controversy because that's what drives engagement. And that's what keeps you in the app is fighting with other people. And so, you know, that's why you'll get like, I, I have, you know, hundreds of people on my Facebook, not trying to brag, but you know, all these friends and the people that I really am interested in seeing, I don't see the updates about, you know, them having a kid or, you know, them going to the zoo or something. I get updates of, you know, my uncle's angry about politics or something because that gets people to argue and to engage. And so that's that's one part of it is what's being filtered to us. And kind of like you were saying about body image, you know, those things that people that Facebook or whoever, you know, whatever social media knows people will will debate about. And then the other aspect of that is um it's actually one that I heard Andrew Huberman talk about on on another podcast, um, which is how we drive ourselves to conform to that. And you touched on that a little bit, but we often hear about social media in reference to dopamine and how we get this this hit of dopamine. And part of that is through the content that we're seeing, but it's also the dopamine that we get from what we post. And so if we post something that gets a lot of likes or a lot of comments, then we want to keep posting. And so it it's kind of a double, you know, a, a two-sided coin where the stuff that we post that kind of drives controversy and, and argument and, you know, these, these comments that we may not feel good about, those are the ones that get pushed to other people. And so... Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of social media. Oh, that's the other thing that like, while you're talking, like how we conform ourselves to curate what people see of us, right? It really made me think about like how important it is for when you're a young child developing your sense of who you are that you have the ability to develop that that sense of who you are in a safe but challenging environment. And I, I say safe, but challenging and not to be like a safe place because like that has all new meanings now. But like I, I recently was having a conversation with, you know, how do we make sure the kids can, can grow up and, and find themselves, but at the same time, like not like cross boundaries or do things that are inappropriate or whatever, you know? And I told him, I said, it's so important that as we're raising the, our, our, your youth, that they are allowed to be themselves independent of any labels associated with themselves. And we had this huge long discussion in Shakespeare a couple of weeks ago, where I was like, we're not labeling each other as you're the jock and 
and you're the beauty and and you're this because as soon as those labels get put onto them you disappear as a person right you have to be like no this is tatiana these are things she likes these are things she does these are silly things she does these are awesome things she does but there's none of those labels like you could totally have labeled me like tomboy shy um fashion not fashion conscious <laughs> and I, uh, there's mean words about that but you know that's what it was like you could have totally labeled me that but then i would have become those labels but instead it was like oh yeah there's tatiana and she likes to wear jeans and you know cowboy shirts like, like even though she's not a cowboy like so and and so that i got to be me which means that i got to change that if i wanted to at some point oh i really like the color pink now i'm gonna wear pink you know and all of a sudden i change that right but if i'm labeled with certain thing and that's what i'm defined as i can't change that and so i really yeah. think it's interesting like what you said because we are pushing ourselves to conform ourselves to labels as well like and i think that's one like major benefit at least in my life that i've seen from lemmy is i liked in the the Kaylee, when you spoke with uh, Kaylee O'Hara in a previous episode, one of the things she was talking about was how her mentor didn't give her the answer when she had a problem. She had to find the answer herself for that horse competition. And I think one of the major advantages of the whole mentor system is that we're not given all the answers. We're given the tools but it's, it's up to us to find the answers and it allows us to find them in the way that we would find them. And like, I've, I've noticed many times throughout my life and more specifically throughout my career as a user experience designer, that a lot of times my mental model of how I see a problem and how I would approach, you know, developing a certain website or how I would approach, you know, thinking about a certain user interface, my mental model may be different and usually often is very different from the other people around me in my work and also, you know, clients that I have through my consulting. And so, yeah, it, it speaks to self-expression, but also it teaches you that, that your answer isn't always the right one, that sometimes someone has a better idea, even if you think that your idea is the best one. Yeah, I love that. And also teaches you the, I feel like one of the greatest things, and I think I've heard this a lot, was it teaches you how to have a differing opinion from someone and have a relationship with them still. That was one of the things that I really, really felt like I was allowed to disagree with people and love them and still be, have a great relationship with them. Yeah. And I think that, I think Pyramid Project did a great job helping me in that regard because it's so much emphasis was put on noticing patterns like I remember my like workbook that I had for pyramid project had this table with two columns it was a date and a pattern that you noticed and there was probably like a hundred rows and in one semester we had to like fill up this whole table and I'm like how am I going to notice this many patterns in one semester? This is like impossible. And I thought it was kind of a silly exercise. I was like, you know, whatever, notice some patterns. But the more I did it and the more I filled out this table, 
the more it got me into that mindset and honed that skill of looking for patterns everywhere I went. And honestly, that one skill I feel like has changed the course of my career and my life ever since then, because I think that really is the key to obtaining knowledge is looking for patterns and being able to kind of view them objectively. And it goes back to what you were saying, Tatiana, about how, you know, if someone gives a different opinion from you, you can look at it and analyze it and understand the pattern of what they're saying and really comprehend their, their argument without engaging with it emotionally, if you don't want to. And having that ability, not only does it allow you to accept people better, but it also really helps with, you know, debate. I, I wrote the book on debate, literally. So it, it really helps with that, not attaching yourself to the emotional aspects, because that's oftentimes how I would see a lot of, you know, a lot of scholars lose the debates that they were on was they would get very emotional about a certain topic and they would lose that logical aspect where they couldn't look for the flaws because they were too tied emotionally to the topic. Yeah, I, I'm one of those mean mentors where I would set people up to debate the side that would be hardest for them to debate. Remember in Key of Liberty, I made this girl who she loved bacon. She loved bacon so much. She wore like leggings with bacon on it. I mean, this was like really kind of weird, but I made her debate why bacon was going to kill you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, Kathy would do stuff like that all the time. And, you know, there were times that we would go to communities and we would have debates and, you know, we would do all sorts of different formats where, you know, I would be judging or like it would be like multiple students versus me or, you know, I would be on a team with one or however it worked out. And I remember one time one of the, the kids was like, you know, it's not fair. He just knows that side really well. And I was like, I can argue your side. And then we swapped sides and I argued their side against, you know, against them. And yeah, I, I loved doing stuff like that. Being able to see the other person's side, I think is something, it's a skill that has been lost in the majority of society today. And it's really hurting us as a nation, as a world, really, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to the conversation we we're having about social media is that that's what drives engagement. The more people are polarized and the more they're tricked into seeing that the other side is further polarized than they are, then the more it drives controversy. Like a lot of times, if you can just sit down with your quote unquote enemy, you know, this person is the polar opposite of me. They believe exactly what I hate in life. If you just sit down and talk with them, you'll probably find you have a lot of stuff in common. We're all just people. We all just want to, you know, be a part of a group and get along. And uh, if you just sit down and talk with them instead of being fed what they believe from some third party trying to, you know, get you to engage with this habitual system, 
then, you know, you'll find that commonality. Yeah. My youngest son is in Quest right now and uh, Quest 3, and he's doing the worldviews. So he's learning all about these different religions, different ways of looking at the world, you know, atheism, Buddhism, I mean, the whole thing. And I'm just so grateful that especially the world today right now, you know, when we are recording this right now, we have so much turmoil due to uh, worldviews clashing. I'm so grateful that our kids are learning about these worldviews and trying to see them you know, see the patterns in them, see the ways that they actually agree and how there is good in, in all of them in some, well, in most of them, I'm not sure about Marxism, but, <laughs> but I mean, even by being able to recognize that you can recognize something that you want to stay away from and you can recognize, you know, why they believe in that. And I think, you know, even in, in socialism that, utopian idea of why they want to do it 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 has some good intentions i think it's doesn't work but they do get people in there because of some good but at least their intentions they just don't see it through all the way but well and i mean it's interesting throughout history if you asked any of those people why they did what they did i i guarantee all of them would tell you that they were doing what they thought was right and in hindsight we can look back and say no that was a terrible thing to do objectively you shouldn't have done that but to them they felt like they were you know a leading a good cause and like tatiana was saying earlier about you know these very inspirational speakers that had very you know, terrible causes, there are positive aspects of, of those eras and those people in terms of, you know, their, their speaking ability, their leadership, their ability to work as a team, all of those things. And you can analyze those objectively and see how they work and apply them to a good thing. Um, but then you can also look at their deeds and say, no, we, we don't want to repeat that. So, that kind of goes back to like looking for those patterns and taking out the things that are useful to you and can help you, you know, in a good cause and, and using those rather than just tying yourself to the emotional part of it. So we're kind of getting uh, running out of time a little bit here. And for our listeners, there lots of people are curious, like, you know, I've decided to homeschool my kids and I've decided to use Lemmy Projects as one of the main tools in my homeschooling arsenal. And maybe I haven't made the right choice. <laughs> like, so we always like to ask like graduates and, um, and people have been through the program, what are you doing now and with your life? And how's it, how has doing the projects help you with what you're doing now? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a user experience designer and a lot of people have no idea what that means. It just sounds like jargon. Um, but basically what I do is I try and put myself in the shoes of a user. And, you know, it may seem easy because we've all used different products, but 
the thing I love about it is every time I meet with a new client, I have to engage that pyramid project part of my brain where I have to understand their company from their perspective and not just from their perspective, but also their future customer's perspective. And it, it can be something I have no idea, like no understanding of from an educational point of view. Like I just did a website for a fiduciary service that, you know, puts people's estates in order. I've, I have zero experience with that, but I have to understand it so well that I can not only design a website that works for their business, but also help them in writing the content for it. So I really have to understand it quickly. And it's what I love about, about my job. And I got that skill through, through the, the program, through pyramid project and, you know, through TJYC thinking about things objectively and, you know, really trying to be a, a scholar and continue gaining knowledge and never just stand still. So. Uh, I love UX guys. They are the bread and butter for anything. <laughs> so, but I, I don't have a ton of experience in, you know, coding and, and website designer or, you know, app development, but I have enough to know that if you have crappy UX, you will fail. <laughs> like that's just, the, yeah. that's the long and short of it. Like it's, that's just the, the truth. So that's so awesome to see that you're, able to to have that ability to be successful because that is also a very difficult industry to be successful in in, in my opinion and that's that's just my opinion from my yeah, little knowledge of the world tricky. yeah well i'm i'm just really grateful that you're helping us with our new lemmy website and by the time this airs it should be up and running and and I'm excited about that and that you've actually been able to put yourself into the shoes of these homeschool moms and, <laughs> and all of that. So I appreciate your ability to see the patterns in that. And, and also one of the reasons I was so grateful that you were able to do it is because you obviously, you know, the fact that you can remember those experiences from the projects and you really, uh, I feel like you really believe in what we're doing and have an understanding of, of what we're trying to do. So I'm just so grateful that you're, you've done so much amazing work on the website and understand what we're trying to do in the big picture too. I mean, it's been my, my pleasure. I really enjoy doing UX and, you know, I hope that from this, I can continue to help people that, that listen to this with their websites because it, it it really is what I enjoy doing. Like it's, there's no better feeling than when you give someone this really amazing website and they're just so excited and you get feedback from their customers about like, wow, this website is just so easy to use. It's not a hassle. Like it, it just, it looks great. So that's what I love doing. And, you know, if you, if people have, a desire to have a website made. I actually just launched my website where people can request consulting from me. And that is do a shameless plug right now. That's innate consulting. So that's I N N A T E dash consulting.com. And yeah, I, I have some of the previous work I've done on there. Uh, I hope to put your guys's website on there as well as an example of what I do. 
pretty soon here. And yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, and I'll be sure and put a link to your website in the show notes too. So definitely everybody take a look at that. So Nate, I would like you also, just because you were so integral to um, putting together the uh, Unleashing Your Choice manual, which is now part of what Lemmy offers with Unleashing Your Voice, can you just give me one reason why people should take a look at this program? I mean, what are some of the biggest things that you've seen, the biggest improvements, the biggest changes in kids when they've gone through the Unleashing Your your voice seminars that you and Kathy used to do? Yeah, well, whether we like it or not, we're always going to be doing some form of public speaking. We're, you know, we're a social species and you're going to have to pitch yourself at some point, especially if you're an entrepreneur, which I know a lot of, you know, scholars that go through the program are. So it's a skill that you're going to have to do whether you like it or not. And so you might as well be good at it. And that's what the program does. And it's not painful. It doesn't, you know, force you to count the number of times you say in a speech or, you know, hit, hit certain bullet points when you're talking about something. It just gives you the tools and helps you to speak the way you want to. And so, you know, that combined with learning the ability to debate, they're just too you know, integral tools to, to being successful, I feel like. Yeah, really successful in anything that you do. I mean, whether you are owning your own business or working for someone else, you always have to be able to sell yourself in some way or talk, you know, present your ideas. And I totally agree. So thank you for that. Tati, anything you wanted to? Oh, I just really, it was a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. It was a really fun discussion and, and great insights to to see how the project can really help be successful in life and in so many different ways. So it's great to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. You as well. Yes. Great questions. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nate. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.